You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly. We're all about defeating bad decision making. I'm Sean Smith here with my co-host and favorite son, Sanger Smith. Today, we've got part two of our great discussion with Eric Maddox. If you haven't listened to part one, where he tells the story about the interrogations that led to the capture of Saddam Hussein, do yourself a favor, go back and listen to that before you listen to part two. In part two, we get into empathy-based listening, which are techniques that he developed after 2,700 interrogations and how it changes the art of listening. It is a fantastic discussion. We enjoyed having that discussion. You're going to enjoy listening to it. It's not. He said, briefing's canceled because we got it. Your guy did it. And I said, how'd it go down? And he said, when you left, we called Bam Bam. And he said, Bam Bam and the entire team got on a helicopter, flew to Baghdad, picked up, escorted Muhammad Ibrahim back to the house, planned and executed the raid of the farmhouse of Kais Namek Jassim in the little village of Adwar. And they couldn't find Saddam, and they looked for an hour, and after an hour, Bam Bam goes to the truck, pulls the bodyguard, Muhammad Ibrahim, out, takes off his hood, says, where is he? Muhammad Ibrahim does not say a word, looks at Bam Bam and asks for his hand. Doesn't say anything. Grabs his hand. The whole team's falling around the backside of the house. The farmhouse that the United States Army said, Bam Bam, we've been to this house twice. We've been to every house in this town twice. The bodyguard goes around the backside of the house, turns to the team, doesn't say anything, starts kicking at the sand with his feet. And he starts kicking up a rope. He found a rope with his feet in the sand. When they realize that they moved inside, they start digging this rope was connected to a lid. And Bam Bam and the team, they realized, and they cleared it off, and they, they looked at the bodyguard, and he's sitting there going, and they had their weapons drawn. They reached down, they lifted up that lid, and there he was, Saddam Hussein. He was pinpointed by the one guy he trusted to never, ever give up his location, and that guy broke in less than two hours because he was listened to at a higher level than he'd ever been listened to in his entire life. That's amazing. How do you, I want to ask you about that approach because how do you use that type of listening and not let your own motivation or your own agenda override how you want to listen to this person? It it, it seems really, it would be tough. So it's counterintuitive to remove your agenda and your biases to listen. What I learned over these 300 interrogations was that what we've learned to do in communication is listen for our own goals, our own objectives. We have a selfish disposition. When I sought to understand these prisoners, I started to realize, oh my goodness, they really want to be transparent. And then I started to realize, yeah, they want to be transparent when I will get out of my own way. But it's that challenge of going, well, what does it mean to get out of your way? It means getting out of your brain, of your goals, your objectives, your biases. So the difference is that when you see the reward of listening with empathy, 
the trust and the cooperation that you gain is far more impactful than the goals of achieving your own agenda minus the resources of a cooperative person. So it's it's a lot. It's going to be a much harder for me to accomplish my own goals in a conversation with a, a client, a prospect, prisoner, uh, if they're unwilling to trust me and cooperate. Yes, but I also think there's a difference between the words unwilling and not trusting. And any of us are going to have problems if we don't achieve the highest possible level of trust with our clients and our prospects. Sure. And if we just listen like we do every single day, like everybody does, we think, no, I'm just, I'm being like normal. And I'm like, but there's only so much trust you can build. And that was really the difference. It was like, wait a second. My empathy-based listening is all about building trust. And to take the lid off of where we think trust can be established and to go, do you realize you can build so much higher trust than you can any other way? And the levels of trust and what mean, what it means to build that highest level and it can only be accomplished with this level of listening, that's where your value is. And so throwing away your agenda is, is one part of being able to listen empathetically. Is that right? I think you're, you're onto something there when you say removing your old agenda and anything that distracts our mind from seeking to understand the perspective of the individual we're listening to, that's, that's a deterrent. So because of the capture of Saddam, right? I'll, I'll just tell you, the United States government, they loved it. I, that was taken immediately to Secretary Donald Rumsfeld's Secretary of Defense office in the Pentagon. He loved it. He said, I want my own team of interrogators and Staff Sergeant Maddox will be my first one. By the time I got back from D.C. to my base in Los Angeles, Secretary Rumsfeld got the funding for a 30-person civilian interrogation team that would fall under the Defense Intelligence Agency. I was being hired as the first interrogator. To this day, have no idea if I had a choice whether or not I took that job. <laughs> I took it. It was awesome. I was pulled out of the Army, hired as a civilian interrogator in the DIA, and they said, go teach this. Go teach this thing. And as I was starting to teach this technique that I didn't fully understand, I just knew how to do it, I started to realize, Ugh, there's a listening problem. We're not listening. And if we're not listening, I can't get you to understand how to seek to understand to um, build trust. So then I had to back it up and say, what's the listening problem? Ah, we have all these mental distractions. Why do we have mental distractions? Because we're selfish. We're self-centered. But there's another issue. We have listening distractions because the brain can hear five times faster than the average person can talk. So in conversations, a talker's going really slow, right? And we have all this excess capacity. And we say, I've got extra capacity here. I'll do some stuff. What do we do? Anything else we want. What do we fill that capacity with? Things that matter to us. The problem is people don't understand you cannot multitask when it comes to listening. It's not possible. So if you're focused on something that matters to you more than the conversation, your listening goes down. 
So we had to find the six. I, well, first, I had to figure out what are these distractions. Come up with hundreds and hundreds. I go back out in the battlefield. I've got the, a, a team of these new interrogators. I'm back with the Joint Special Operations Command. So I got to get this figured out. We go through thousands of interrogations and realize all these distractions, they really come in six categories, one of which is your own personal agenda. Yes, that is one of the categories of distractions we have to remove in order to keep our mind focused, to stay front of mind, to now we have to have a new agenda. And I will tell you, if you understand the amount of trust that you can build and that trust forges partnerships with your clients, with your prospects, with your family members, then you will say, how do I do it? And I'll tell you, you've got to remove your old distractions. You have to have one new single agenda. And the single agenda is every time you're in a conversation, I need you to seek to understand the perspective of the individual that you're talking with in regards to that topic of conversation at that moment in time. That's your new agenda. And watch the impact it'll have. So understanding what this person feels, but in this specific moment talking to me. So if I'm an advisor, that's, oh, I've got to understand what is this person thinking, not just with respect to their money, but in the context of having to talk about their money to an advisor. And that's more specific. So yes and yes and yes. But what I would argue is that I don't know what matters to this individual at this moment in time, but they're dying to tell us. Every time we sit down with a client or a prospect, mm-hmm. they drop what I call breadcrumbs. And these are tests. Breadcrumbs are tests. See, the world operates at listening at 25%. So we know. I know the deal. I'm going to sit with someone, mathematically speaking, they're going to listen to me about 25%. I don't want to reveal, expose, become vulnerable with my own information, my own feelings. I don't want to be transparent at 25%. We, all, we, we do it back and forth. So when we meet somebody, hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Right? We, we know sure. the small talk. Every time somebody speaks, they drop a breadcrumb. And the breadcrumb is, if you do happen to pick that up and return it to me in a discovery manner to seek to understand, it's going to be an indicator that you're listening at a higher level an indicator. And every time you sit with one of your prospects, when you say, well, they don't want to reveal about the money, they're dropping breadcrumbs. You pick up fried breadcrumbs. It takes less than three minutes. You watch the way they now, they don't go, uh, I did. It it goes, wait a second. I trust that you're good at your job. That's why I hired you. That's why I'm even in this chair. I trust, trust firm is effective at managing money. What I want to know is do you care more about me than yourself mm-hmm. right now, every time. That's the highest level. Of, it's the second highest level of trust. So when you talk about those breadcrumbs, what, what are some examples of things that people leave in conversation that they want you to pick up on? Let me ask you a question. Okay, okay. perfect. On, on yours. You sit down with a prospect, right? What are some of the opening statements? What are some of the typical things you might hear from a prospect? Oh, I want to get better returns. Right? If, if, if I sit down, I'm, I'm, so sure. I'll be the prospect. Sure. Say, 
I want to get better returns. What might your response be? What's important about getting better returns? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Okay. That's, 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 that, that, that's not too bad. I would argue they want you to ask about, well, better than what, 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 current, what are your current returns that you're receiving, right? Like they, they're, they're putting a marker of comparison. Okay. They know you don't know what the, what the standard is better than what. Okay. Right. So I would say when somebody uses the word better, they're telling you, ask me about what I'm currently getting. I've got a story behind it. Oh, now, because better is a specific, oh, I see that's wow. That's very specific in the, the word better is a comparative word. If they yeah. said now, if they said, um, what? You use an example when we were talking before about asking a coworker about their weekend. Yeah. And I think this one relates to everybody out there. Everybody who's listening, you've, you've had this moment. So I asked you about your weekend or you asked me about my weekend. I say, oh, yeah, it was great. It, I guess I don't want to walk no, all over go, your go. point, but you, you, you shared with us. If, if most interactions with people go along the lines of, oh, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it was really great. Uh, oh, did you do anything fun? Oh, yeah, I took my uh, daughter to a soccer game. It was great. You know, uh, really, really like hanging out with her. And then the other person says, oh, yeah, my daughter has a soccer game too. You know, and I'm going to now reflect this or turn this conversation back towards me. And so the first person never talks about, they wanted to talk about something that mattered to them, but their coworker robbed them of the opportunity to do that because they weren't really listening. So what you just described is what we call the boomerang approach of conversations. And let me tell you, boomerangs are cool. You don't ever want to speak with the boomerang approach, right? And what so with the boomerang approach would be something to the effect of if somebody had uh, over the weekend, their daughter had a soccer tournament and they scored like six goals and they have a colleague who they also know their daughter plays soccer and says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And that's the, the person asked is the one who had the daughter that scored all the goals. And they asked their colleague and the colleague says, oh, yeah, um, you know, good weekend. Went to, uh, you know, Margaret, Barbara, whatever soccer games and say, well, how'd they do? Oh, she did. OK, we tied one game. We lost the other. Oh, well, my daughter, Betty, had a soccer game and she yes. scored six goals. Right. It's like it's clear. Everybody hates that. Right. It's because you don't care how my weekend was, and you certainly don't care how my soccer game was. And all you really want to do is throw something out there that in some way you could pull back and tie towards um, your daughter scoring six goals. I used to, I have one place where I'm so vulnerable to this. Okay. So I'll just tell you guys out there. My name is Eric Maddox. I have a cousin, Mike Maddox, who played basketball at Kansas university. He was part of Danny and the miracles as a freshman. And he's just, you know, great basketball player. I'm so sure. proud of him, right? It, sure, of ever, and I live in Oklahoma. You meet a lot of people from Kansas. I'm telling you, I find my, I'm like, Kansas, where'd you go to school? I went to KU. Are you a basketball fan? Oh, I yeah. love blah, 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 basketball. And I go, well, <laughs> I have a cousin. And it's the worst, right? Like, I, I find that I used to. Yeah, because nobody cares. I, <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. It's not that they don't care. They don't care at all. Right, <laughs> but I wasn't asking if they went it's to not KU. That they don't I care. wasn't. It's that they don't give a. Sh <laughs> don't care at all. 
Okay. So we don't ever want a boomerang, but let's not look at how we can be an awful boomerang type listener. What I'm saying is we can be a breadcrumb listener when you say, hey, how was your weekend? Yeah, uh, it was good. Uh, you know, yesterday was a little bit boring, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting, right? They're dying that you have to ask what interesting happened. And you think you would so many times somebody goes, oh, mine was interesting too. We did this, right? And you take it and run with it. Or you just go every time somebody makes a comment, why did they say, why didn't they say it was good? It was interesting. And what I mean by that is my mother-in-law came over and was bugging the heck out of me and I couldn't sure get away. They, they want they want permission from you to tell that story that's what picking yeah. up a breadcrumb does this is yeah. I'm it's giving per, someone permission to be vulnerable to share to to talk about themselves and it says I care more about what you're saying than what I'm thinking this is on a social communication level now you take this to the workplace and it says I care more about your situation. I'm going to discover to find out what your financial needs are. I'm going to discover to find out what this, because we think, hey, we want to land this prospect in any business, not to be wealth management, any industry. Hi, how's it going? We do the cordials. Well, tell me about, and when, when we ask, we act like we're listening. And they're going to provide information, and we see an opportunity to hit our agenda of getting a sale, landing a client, and we go to it. Mm -hmm. And we lose all that trust because they go, oh, right. Yeah, you like everyone else. Sure. You're here for business. Sure. You, yeah. So one, I'm fascinated by the by all of these concepts that you that you talk about. The one that I really like is you know removing your agenda. Um, I tried to implement that in a client meeting, or I, I think I did implement that in a client meeting uh, right after I first heard you speak the first time. So I, the very next day, I had a meeting with a with a new client. Uh, she'd already hired me. We're ready to go, and I wanted to walk her through an exercise that was intended to find her core values, what's important to her, and she's okay. going through a big transition in life where you know she's recently getting divorced. Um, and it, there, there's a lot on her heart and I would wanted to do the exercise correctly because if I'm going to, I've got to definitely understand these values to help her at this time. Right. Okay. So but I go through this exercise and my goal in the exercise is to get five values, right? That's my agenda. So to speak is I need her to identify these values. Well, it's not that easy. I can't just ask you, Hey, Eric, what are your top five values? Because unless you've gone through that and thought it out and written them down somewhere, you're not going to know what they are off the top of your head. So I handed her this deck of cards. Now, the first exercise in the deck of cards is to split them into two categories. One category of cards that with values on them, right? Um, so that each of these cards have a value and, and you put them over on the right side if, if you like them, if they resonate with you, put them over on the left side if they don't. Now, I looked away for a moment. I, I think I went to go get a bottle of water. Um, and I came back expecting to see two decks of cards. And what I saw was every single one of the cards lying face up on the table <laughs> in 
in a in just a a collage of different values. And in that moment, I really wanted to because I've had clients make the exercise hard in the past. I really wanted to think, how can I get her to get me five cards? But then I remembered what you talked about. And I said, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to only listen. And I'm going to just, just talk to her about it. So I asked her questions and I, I was doing a very amateur job, but I said, oh, well, instead of, oh, let's try it again. I said, tell me about how that went for you. And she shared with me what she thought and what her thought process was. And, and every time she shared an answer, I had the opportunity to go back to the exercise to try to get these values. But I realized I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, sacrifice this opportunity to hear more about what she wants to tell me. Anyway, long story short is I ended up spending three hours on this exercise with her. And I'm so glad I did. And she is so glad that we did because I now understand so much more about what she needs out of the relationship than I ever would by doing that in 15 minutes. But my question for you is how, when we have time constraints, how can we effectively, how can we throw away our agenda when one of our agendas might be to get something done? Okay, I want to be perfectly clear. There's no faster way to get from A to Z or A to B than through picking up the correct breadcrumbs for someone. If, and, 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 and that's where I'm going to stop, if, if this thing, but I have to verify, what was the, what was the goal with this individual? Well, the, the goal was I want to under, I want to get her to complete the exercise so I can understand these values, understand what's important to her and use that as a reference point when making decisions financially. Well, I, I would say Sanger, probably the goal was deeper than that is that finding these values, it, the goal essentially was to build trust and rapport and understand that, that person. Right. Yeah. And no better way than to, to look at empathy-based listening and, and, and as Eric was saying, asking the right questions. It, it, what's fascinating about what you've been talking about, Eric, is that if we're to become better listeners, we have to get better, we've become better question askers, essentially, right? Asking better questions, uh, asking the right questions, picking up on these, on these breadcrumbs. Are there, are there any, sort of dangers or risks or obstacles that you find people butt up against as they're trying to improve on this skill, as they're trying to get better at empathy-based listening? What do you see the, the pitfalls that people normally have? Okay. I, if you understand picking up breadcrumbs to do what? To discover. That means I want to seek to understand your perspective with regards to this topic of conversation. What that means is we're going to start asking more questions. Like, great, that's fantastic. And as I'm talking to someone, we start going, ah, here's the breadcrumb. Here's the breadcrumb. If we do not truly remove our agenda and we seek to understand their perspective, but instead we're like, no, no, I want to understand their objectives. I want to understand their values but I want to stand their values because I want to build a level of trust because I want to land them as a client. 
And then once we see a value that directly ties into something that we see as a way to land them as a client, if you go too quickly at that, you're going to come across as interrogating, salesy. It's just what you're going to be like, no, Eric, I was asking questions. I'm like, if you don't stay pure to this and you stay pure to actually seeking what their perspective, you're going to go too fast. And you'd be like, Eric, what I love about what you do is you dial me in and I'm asking questions. And I'm like, yeah, but you're asking questions to fulfill your agenda. Yeah. That's, that's a pitfall. Okay. Here's the other pitfall is we'll start not willing to see the, to true, you, you know what else? We don't know the value of trust. If we truly dissected trust, you spend one hour dissecting the value of trust. What does trust mean? I've even given you all a breadcrumb about trust. There are levels of trust. There's a higher level. Let's dissect that. If we don't know what trust means, then, then we're never going to say, Eric, I want to put empty-based listening over the way I do things now because the way I do things now works pretty good. Good gets in the way of great. Yeah, because I think trust is here. Good's getting you here. If you don't know this is where you can go, you don't know what you're missing, and it will be a pitfall in picking up empathy-based listening. So Thanks. when you talk about those pitfalls, what, what's preventing people from adopting this? Because obviously, at this point, you've had the opportunity to share this with so many people. I would think that collectively we'd be better listeners by now. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I think it's great. I hear it and I'm like, I want to adopt this 100% of the time in every conversation I have, but obviously I'm going to fail at that. And so what do you see uh, holding people back? So let's go to a sports analogy, right? Sure. Um, if we all remember how sports were football, let's talk about football. Football was played a certain way in the 1980s, 90s, 70s, where it was a lot of running. And then all over the years came this, you know, spread them out, throw them a lot of passing. The game of football just changed over the last 30 years. Well, if you went back in the 1980s and you brought a game, a game film of 2020 football, and you said, look, Watch this. You gave them a full three hours. They got to watch the whole thing. They would go, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's fascinating. And then you leave, they're going to go, okay. So remember, all we have to do is throw every time. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what they're doing here. No, no, no. We just throw all the time. Like, no, you're missing. That's what you saw. When I present and I give a one-hour presentation or I give a keynote, people are like, okay, stop talking and just listen. I'm like, I never said that. No, there are, well, okay. So when you say, well, Eric, we want to learn it. There's a part of what your training needs to be awareness of the power of empathy-based listening to build the level of trust. But the rest of it has to go, wait, these breadcrumbs are no joke. The word better, you're like, wait, Eric, you're taking it down to the wire. I'm like, but once you learn better, it will never leave your brain. It's there forever. Once you learn the breadcrumbs and how they work and how to transition, like you can't put a breadcrumb by me. It does not exist. And it makes you a Jedi listener, which gives you this power. So it's a choice, but I can't show you a three hour football game 30 years from now and you go, I got it. I want it. Yeah, that's it a fair a point. Little. 
Yeah, you you can't you can't expect people wave a magic wand and transfer all of your knowledge to everybody. So someone's got to be really, really, really interested, engaged, and focused on developing this skill. And a lot of people aren't going to, even if they're aware of it. I mean, it takes two months of two hours a week training. What's that? Sixteen hours. Two hours a week training, two months. Uh-huh. Jedi status after that. <laughs> then you get Jedi. So I, I have a, uh, I have a follow up question for you, Eric. So with our podcast, decidedly, one of the things we want to do is to defeat bad decision making and and look at how we can make better decisions in all walks of life, whether it's uh, investment decisions, whether it's uh, spending decisions whether it's decisions on, on how you interrogate somebody or listen, right? Uh, so as it relates to empathy-based listening, how, how do you see that fitting into someone's decision-making process and helping them get better at decision-making? So when we, we talk about decision-making, right? And it's why I really love that I get to be on your podcast, decision-making, because what, what are we doing? We're taking available information then we're having to take our past experience and I always say, well, let's make it the purity of the available information, right? So when I say, I want to seek to understand somebody, I want to gain clarity of what they are feeling to identify their needs. And it's pure because I'm going to take away my distractions of my agenda, my biases that could filter that information. Because if I, if I, as Singer said, if I have their five values, that helps me understand them better. I can make better decisions. So when we talk about purity of information, that's what helps us make decisions. So one of the things I want us to look at is if we understand empathy-based listening, what is it? It's to build trust. But when you get trust is when you get transparency. What is transparency? Transparency is clarity. You want to make best decisions. You absent your biases, you build the trust, and then you get clarity of all available information. I I never said, hey, here's where we're going to find Saddam Hussein. What I said was, it's not a clear picture. I don't know where the guy is. But I've got to find information that will give me clarity, and that comes from them. And I even need, as, as you said, sometimes they don't even know what they want. They don't even know what their problems are. But when you build a level of will make people think inside, really discover, discover what? Information for clarity. When they say, Eric, you had such a great plan. I said, I didn't have any plan at all. I was a facilitator for clarity of information again for other individuals. I empowered them to discover and want to give me that information. Now that I have that information, guess what I can do? Make the best decision. That's a great point. How can we possibly make a great decision if we don't have all of the available information? Yeah. And what I love what you do, it's the available. There's unavailable. We're going to get everything we can. Yeah, if we knew absolutely everything, then we're never going to make a mistake. Well, we're not ever going to have all the information. We have the available information. Get all the available information. Some people go, well, this is all that's available. Ugh. 
that's all that's available using your form of gathering right information. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm an intelligence collection officer. I know gathering information is not easy and you're never done. There's always a little bit more chicken on the bone, right? You, you can find some more, but we don't want to spend forever. We have to make decisions quickly. Sure. There's no faster way to gather that information, available information to make the best possible decision. So when people are making decisions, you know, maybe outside of a professional setting as well, well, you know, I, I think that the the analogy that you use to say Im, Im, implementing this empathy-based listening when you're making decisions with a client or a prospect, I get that. I think a lot of listeners get that. What about other dynamics, other relationships? What about your spouse? I mean, when we're making decisions together, I can imagine that you still would need to have a high skill level in this approach to be able to do that so that's a great point right and we say well eric i don't need this with my spouse i mean hopefully they're not a prisoner right she already trust me yeah <laughs> <laughs> well some we, of them are i heard we we married we trust it's institutionalized what is the definition of empathy-based listening you notice there's a little caveat at the end seeking to understand their perspective with regards to the topic of conversation at that moment in time. The reason that at that moment in time comes in is because the, every time somebody engages with you, your spouse isn't saying, are they going to beat me? Are they going to Are they going to rob from me? Are they going to cheat me? No, they're saying, Hey, right now, are you in your own mind? Or are you with me? That's sure. the difference. So when you say, Hey, how was work? Yeah, fine. Oh, you're losing the opportunity to say, listen, I'm tired. It was tough. But guess what? Right now, I want to know how you are. I want us to get there. Once you get there, then there's, there's tons of room to operate. Yeah, we can debate. We can argue. We can, we can bicker. But we're there, right? You can get there every time you come home, every time you engage by saying, it may not be perfect. But I am seeking to understand. You feel how that empowers? There's an sure. empowerment. When you talk about couples or relationships, children, parent, uh, siblings, it, we say, what's the crux of the problem? It's a communication problem. Sure. And the communication is I have a bias, I have an agenda, and I'm not listening. And couples are making tons of decisions together. Tons of decisions. The leading cause of divorce is, is disagreements over money. Decisions that we made over money that, that upset one or both parties. So you're saying if we can implement this, if couples can implement this, um, this system or this approach, they're probably going to be able to make better decisions. Better decisions. It gives you more trust. You, 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 you can operate on a foundation of trust. And it's a, it gives you a lot of playing room. It actually gives you freedom and, and, and allows you not to need the control. People are like, oh, I, I, I put restrictions around this and that. And it's like, yeah, you're trying to control because we're losing communication because we don't have trust. We don't have trust because we're not listening to one another. Sure. And that's just the way it is. No, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is. It is. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. So, you know, the, 
the ability to improve decision makings in the financial planning process is really based on people giving us the best information they can to asking the right questions. But I think you hit on a key point is with, with married couples, having those spouses listen to each other and understand their perspective. Because I, I also run across people where I, where I'm working with couples and maybe one's a spender and one's a saver, one's a risk taker, one's conservative. Uh, one looks at the future, one looks at the now there. And without listening, you know, uh, it really becomes challenging because people will become hardened in their own position and they're trying to convince the other person rather than spending energy trying to understand. Uh, so that, you know, th th this is, this is helpful. Eric, this has been great. Uh, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, thank you for being on, uh, on the podcast decidedly. And uh, hopefully we can help people make better decisions through the stuff we talked about today. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly, where we're all about defeating bad decision-making. I really hope you learned something from Sean and I's conversation with Eric. I, I know I definitely did. I, I loved what he shared about empathy-based listening and how that can help us build trust and how we have to know the information. We have to know all of the available information in order to make the best decision available. I really try to take that to heart in my financial advisory practice every day when I work with clients. I know that personally, I've got to do the best, best, best job I can to listen. Otherwise, I've got no hope of providing accurate, relevant, custom advice. So I've implemented a lot of things. You know, I'm in my beginning stages of this journey, but throwing out my own agenda, sometimes that's really hard. When I go into a meeting and I've got some things I really want to get done. Uh, listening for those breadcrumbs, that's been a game changer for me. I've, ha I've learned so much more about the people that are important to me from my clients, my friends, my family, and beyond. There was so much more and better this conversation that we had with Eric that really opened my eyes. I hope it opened your eyes too. Um, if it did, do me a huge favor. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us out so much. It helps the show. It helps us find great guests like Eric. It helps us find other listeners just like you who are hoping to defeat bad decision-making in their own life. If you don't feel like the show was five-star worthy, go eat a cold Twinkie. I don't care about your opinion. If you love us, go check us out on decidedlymoney.com for show notes and other resources. Check us out on Facebook. Give us a follow. Check us out on Instagram. That's what I love the most. Morgan really edits those pictures before she posts them up, so I look really good and fresh. We'll see you next week. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.